If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hello there, I'm JP. Hello there, I'm WH Park. And we're back. Yep. For the, it's been a long time no see. Yeah, um, four, three, what, four weeks. Three, four weeks, yes. Yeah. You were like various other crazy things um, like going on with, with both of us through uh, work and bloody illness. And you were in New York. Obviously, yeah. you were there for, for full gear. How was that? As an full experience? gear? Full gear? I think I fell oh, asleep. Oh, that was Newark. I think I fell asleep. Did you? Long uh, enough. It, well, it, no, it's too fucking long. Tony's got to like cut right. these fucking shows to like three hours. Five, five hours is fucking ridiculous. I'm sorry. That is obscene. It. And then Who's there's like for it? no one. And like, why do all these people have to be on fu- the fucking show? Like, w- yeah. why do I really need to see fucking, fucking, what, fucking Nyla Rose on the fucking show? <laughs> no, you don't even put her on fucking television. Why you put her on her fucking pay per view for? <laughs> You know, or yeah. fucking Luchasaurus and Jungle. Like, I mean, that was probably one of the better matches, but it still was like, why? Like, do something with these people on TV, build it up better. I don't know. That was nominally, well, it wasn't really the real reason. It'd be for the post wrestling um, meetup and oh, yeah. show. Which Listen, I got to go fantastic. for free. JP, I got to go for free thanks yeah. to uh, certain, certain, certain people. I shouldn't say who got me the free ticket, but like certain people out there got me a free ticket. And I was like, ah, fuck it. Shits and giggles. Let's go. And yeah. then, but I was there for the the post. The main reason, the main event was the post wrestling fifth anniversary. But even beyond that, though, the main the main event for me, for me personally, the highlight of many highlights was meeting in person Deathmatch Richard Benno, yes. the legendary Benno. I got to meet him. He 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 uh, he got me. Uh, he he. I think he caused my. Uh, alcohol poisoning on the first night. <laughs> yes. So I could not go into uh, New York City with him and Steph. So enjoy Panda Express. Probably more like he gets more, less, if WH isn't there, there's more Panda Express for us. That might have been yes. his, uh, his strategy. But um, it was great. No, I, I had an awesome time. I I will say this about Benno. Like he is, he, like his, I think he said same, something similar about me. It was like his online persona does not convey like what a yes. lovely person he is. And I had an amazing oh, yeah. time talking with him. So it was great. I I'm well aware of you doing um up to kind of uh do, doing the great act of uh taking Mike Murray's daughters out and around uh oh God. New York show, showing all this, the sides. Uh, it was fun, but there's points where that was a little stressful for me. So I was <laughs> like, oh God, what what happened there? Oh my God! But it it all turned out well. Um, what was like? What was it? Did did Benno relate regale the story of staying up till? Almost three. I stayed up till three a.m. in the hotel lobby with a bunch of with a bunch of people, including him and Steph. 
but I think they stayed in that another hour up in the lobby. And I was Oof. like, I tapped out. I was like, it's 3 a.m. I'm going to go. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to my room. Yeah, but uh, it was fun. It, it, it sounded amazing from what I heard of it. And I was gutted not not to go out there. Although the idea of staying up to 3 a.m. seems like the stuff of a madman's dreams to me. Uh, it was in the lobby, in though. It was in the hotel lobby. because we. Oh, that's all right. We, after Full Gear, we went to this shitty bar that Benno was like, oh, we're at this place called, I think it was called American Whiskey. More like American fucking toilet. What a shithole that place was. <sighs> terrible food. Terrible food. Is this in Newark? Yeah, it's right next to the Prudential Center. Hey, if you're in Newark and you're going, going something at the Prudential Center, you want to go place someplace good to eat or drink, don't go to American Whiskey because it's fucking shit. Okay? <laughs> i tell you that right now. <laughs> and if you work there, you got to get your fucking shit sorted. Okay? Uh, but then, then, so it was me. Uh, Scrump from PWTs, uh, Andrew Thompson, uh, Ben and Steph stayed a little longer now, I think, because it was her birthday. So she wanted to have some drinks there before they went to someplace else. But we went to 7 Eleven, we got some snacks, we got to back to the hotel, which is a 10 minute walk. And then we were like, and I was like, hey, it's still early, it's like only midnight. I, I don't feel tired, I want to hang out a bit more. Should we just hang out in the lobby because it's empty? It's like, yeah, they in the you know, the front front desk staff they didn't care it's like yeah go ahead sit down at your guest it's okay and then yeah. later a little later on ben and steph showed up with their dunkin donuts and <laughs> and i said hey you want to yeah you want to join us we just hanging out here and we just talked for like a couple hours and it was fun that was like honestly that much. that and you know manhattan at night with you know not it was just us the post wrestling yes crew right no 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 offense to the listeners but none of the listeners were there it's just us and that that was a highlight just because we got to we i think i really feel we got to like bond in person a bunch of us yeah like, people meeting for the first time in person so it was really great to see like benno like just kind of you talk a lot with john way i think that was i think that was really a highlight for him yeah. as well so you know it was cool yeah. It sounded absolutely amazing. Like I said earlier, I'm just absolutely gutted to be there. Saw some of the snaps, just thought, oh, God, I wish I was out there. Weirdly enough, like the actual kind of, you know, just being able, like I say, to meet people in a post-COVID world where we're only now really over international restrictions and even outside of China, obviously. Like it's kind of even Japan now has got to the got to the point i think where it's it's pretty much it feels like most of the the kind of heavy g restrictions are over and you know i'd love to love to get to go out i'm, I'm i was hoping that um they'll announce a pay-per-view in toronto because it gives me the the good come excuse on. to come over come on. But there well you know well. you know you know like uh, another uh, uh, maybe even a, a bigger event will be the, the arrival of neil flanagan to the to the city yes. of toronto so maybe you should coordinate with Neil Flanagan of uh, maybe you could come over with Neil Flanagan and have like an well, Irish Irish invasion of, of Toronto. I would do. I'm going to make a very crass analogy probably about Northern Ireland in this show tonight about the the, the series finale. But yeah, God, yeah. Well, most flights over to the US and Canada that tend to be slightly cheaper, you kind of have to go to Dublin or you have to go to Belfast and fly out from there. Just use and one like, password. Don't don't use two passwords to book your trip. Just use one. Yeah. Don't make the mistake Neil Flanagan yeah. made. That's that's always the issue. I tend now as default mechanism just to use my Irish passport. That's the one I'm happiest traveling on. Whereas and it feels me to be the one that causes you less grief. And ultimately yes. I can get into the EU without long queues. I can walk past and go, You voted for this, like and just <laughs> just go, Well, not my issue. Um but yes. We haven't managed to catch up though for a few weeks, and yes. in that time, 
we haven't been able to recap episodes 10, 11, and 12, and the well, season yeah. finale of Andor. So there's three episodes, the jumbo episodes that we're going to be getting into today uh, to, to finish off. And just, I suppose, overall thoughts. Now we are at the end. We're going to go into, I mean, these three episodes are absolutely crackerjack in their own way as well, each with kind of some big, big moments in there. But what are your overall thoughts now that you've seen the first season and it's, and it's all over? Well, I, season two. I, I honestly, I'm astounded, like pretty much 12 episodes and, and all of them were good. Like there's yeah. not, not a single bad episode in any of these. Like this is, I think, an achievement in any kind of long form storytelling. Mm. Um, to get like consistent level of quality um, of course there's like some episodes like peak tire i feel but nothing ever dipped into a valley it's all like mm. plateaued or hit hit another peak and then it just plateaued again and it's it was great i i i, I just astounded that this was actually set in star wars mm. you know like the level of maturity um the level of like that that a lot of it was shot practically they did not use the volume yeah. for this i think it it adds to the, the tone of the show yeah. um, um i'm not against using the volume i think it's a very practical device to use i think as time goes by it'll become even more amazing to use and become more realistic mm. looking but i'm glad they didn't use it for this show mm. um but to me what it comes down to is the writing the writing on the show was unbelievable and it goes to like the quality of the right of, of showrunner tony gilroy who wrote most of these episodes it goes to the quality of the people he hired um who are other like well-known filmmakers or screenwriters from tv and and the world of film that he could get because he's tony gilroy he you know he wrote most of the born movies and they're all mm -hmm. consistently high quality he, he wrote and directed michael clayton one of the best legal dramas yeah. you'll see in the last 25 years um and he's just like he's just amazing. And the great thing is is about him is like he's not necessarily a Star Wars fanboy. He mm. he's familiar with the with the world enough to set the story in it. And but he's not devoted to like okay connecting everything to lore. Like I think he's yeah. concerned about okay he has to fit within the timeline that's been established. But I'm not I'm not here to match this with like existing lore of the jedi and the sith or anything like that it's 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 this this corner that he's interested in which is the more um realistic you know like the espionage the people on the ground level so to speak and and i just think he he did an amazing job assembling directors assembling the the people who did the music and especially the, this cast again not a single bad actor in this in this group of, of 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 people bringing these characters to life yeah i'd be completely in agreement with you there i think it's it, it, on every level for me like i mean I, i'm familiar with some of the complaints it's just i don't find myself really agreeing with them in terms of people talking about the pace the first three episodes i was like well i was quite happy with that pace not everything needed to be a million miles an hour and plot machination after plot machination it was just like you've got a chance to kind of absorb and a show like this requires you to kind of really feel for the characters and understand why they are taking part in this rebellion, even though to them at this point in time, it must seem still kind of futile, but they're still willing to do it. And the only way you're ever going to do that is if you spend time with the characters and you explain their motivations. So the idea of Cassie and Andor being some sort of crass Han Solo ripoff, I was glad he wasn't that because he's not meant to be Han Solo. Mm. 
Like no. it's it, it's it's a different type of story, and it felt more adult and more grown up. And you mentioned that with the the kind of credits of of Tony Gilroy, like say in just in terms of the settings, the use of effects, um, and you know very very grounded. You know, some like each place had its like you know when they're in Aldani, it had its own kind of you know this is where we get into a lot of the the kind of allegories for things that take place very much for today. And you had a great tweet kind of outlining the amount of kind of things that are covered within a 12 episode series that people might just think offhand, oh, it's Star Wars, so it's not going to be able to tackle this. And it's just like, well, no, Battlestar Galactica managed to do this. And it didn't come across as like Newsnight in space. It was like, this is something that's very much like, it's delivered on every kind of level as a piece of as a piece of just quality storytelling and we were talking before we were recording this is the kind of show that could easily have been sold if it if there wasn't a disney plus that it would easily sell to a hbo or a showtime like you know someone who's producing the big quality tv and they'd probably end up ruining it with a ton of swearing and stuff like that but instead what we get here is like a full commitment and something that just it fleshes out the Star Wars universe in a way that, you know, is something that really just, I don't know, it, it, it works. I, you know, I didn't need to see for the most part, like you don't think about Jedi and, and stormtroopers even to a degree, you're not kind of caught up in a lot of the, like the sort of mythos and law. And like you mentioned about Tony Gilroy, not being kind of, you know, someone who is obviously familiar, but not, kind of beholden to that you really need that in order to kind of you know somebody's just thinking first and foremost how do i make a good drama out of a nascent rebellion in a world that everyone claims to sort of know so well but filling in some of the gaps i just think that i, I think it's just going to age so well this but and if the second season is like this it's going to be one of these things where people talk about no this is great this is just about how the the rebellion came into being and you just think yeah it, it's it, I can't see. I can't see the second the second series. Is, Jesus it's got a lot to live up to. Oh yeah. Um, I, I think one thing that's going to age well is like how universal the themes of each yeah. storyline are. Right. So in in arc one, the the Ferrix Marlana one arc, and, the, and I guess to some degree the the Canari arc um, is like Canari is is an example of like you know corporate malfeasance and mm. irresponsibility destroying entire habitat and, and entire you know, culture and population, the people of Canary. This is where Cassian comes from. And then we shift over to Morlana One and and Ferrix, which is all about police corruption and brutality. Mm-hmm. And 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 like kind of the consequences of, of what happens when, you know, you know, authoritative police power gets out of hand. Mm-hmm. And that's what that 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 whole story arc is about. And then Aldani, like the underlying theme there is like it's the heist, but you know, underneath the heist, it's like you, you learn about the displacement of indigenous culture by mm-hmm. a colonial colonial power and like and how bad that is. It's not they don't dress it up like, oh, there's good aspects of colonialism. No, there's not. There's it's fucking terrible, actually. Yeah. And we we I live with the results of colonialism living in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't get me wrong. But like, oh God, I live, it, I, I live in Great Britain. My Christ, there's a you know, and I and I think about the cost of what like the kind of life I I'm privileged to mm. lead here. But what was the cost of it, right? So 
it, and it's shows like this make make you think about like that story it makes you think about it then narkina 5 is all about the corruption of like the prison industrial complex and how it needs to incarcerate people on whether fairly unfairly to you yeah. know feed itself right and in this case it's to feed something that we'll find out about in the last episode the, you know the imperial war machine and it's specifically mm -hmm. a particular part of that war machine and then the rick's road the like the last arc is is the conclusion it's it's just basically you know where the civilian population has had enough shit from the fucking authorities this yeah. you know like the the tyrants controlling the power and it's great it's, it's i think it's beautiful to see like imagery of people not writing or anything like that but like taking control of their their destiny and mm. like and saying no i we don't care if you're the people in power you're the government or whatever like you what you're doing is is wholly unfair and unreasonable and 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 just evil and we're not and we're not gonna we had enough and we're gonna fight for our freedom i think that's it's a beautiful thing where you can put that in the context of us of, of of science fiction and star wars and it and you makes you think about it without making you feel uncomfortable because if you see the real life context of that you have to deal with your own complicity in living in a society that that perpetuates this stuff I think one of the good things, I mean, the only times you ever kind of get really like almost like an imbalance is, and I think the reason they can do this is obviously so much of like colonialism, like there is the kind of direct like racial impact. And we see this, you know, on communities of color all around the world as, a, you know, the underlying results of this. And I think the idea of what they managed to do in terms of somewhere like Ferrix being kind of diverse was actually make it kind of almost easier to tell that story and then go, well, actually, we can just then place it into the context without the kind of predictable attacks that you would get from the kind of right-wing fanboys. I think they managed to, to, to like, in terms of the, the story writers, to be able to cover it, like, thematically. And then you, the audience, then take on and we then transpose and go okay we can see the the analogy to how this works whether it be people in the uh try you know uh, those who are displaced in the amazon something that goes on here today or we talk about the reasons why you end up with kind of um civil disobedience that takes place due to kind of inherent corruption that takes place within society and just more credit to them for taking it on and you know getting into episode 10 which you know it would be remit we, it's the thing about this as well would be the, very tempting for us to jump sort of straight into the finale and leave um the other episodes but you can't really give these any short shrift because what we see is the end of the narkina 5 storyline here um and obviously the last time we spoke it was uh andy circus kino loy his character sort of revealing how many guards there are on the floor and this has often been a com common theme and we see it particularly in the last episode with the idea that tyranny stretches itself because it has to be completely constant and constantly alert and that leads to points where you know when you take away the fear aspect and the way that they would rule by fear once you take that away it ends up um uh, what's the phrase i'm looking for um like you realize actually how weak it truly is yeah and we see these are it. all like these are all like things from Nem Nemec's uh, manifesto, right? That mm -hmm. he that he talks about. And, and you pointed out as well, and it's a great thing. And you pointed it out to me, and when you messaged me this week, just in Rogue One, the idea that he's got Nemec's manifesto taped to his to, tied to his jacket is just a 
phenomenal touch. Well, we don't know if that's what it is, but it it, it would make like it, it would make so. sense. It would make sense that like you know we don't know what that thing like if you see when he's wearing his like kind of like winter jacket on yeah. uh, on Jetta like Cassian Endor, he has this like brown something brown attached to his his jacket and it's like well what is that well you just think it's part of equipment but now like yeah. someone pointed out on twitter is that nemec's manifesto the casing of it and it's like my god it looks the same that and that he keeps it if it's true he keeps it throughout the, the five next five years because it means something to him now as we'll find yeah. out it, it's very very important to him it awakens him like his his experience on Arkina five and his um you know his mother's death and and listening to you know recovering the the, the manifesto from Niamo, mm. his hotel room, which amazingly all that stuff was still there. I'm um, yeah. <laughs> Why isn't any a cleaner? I just assumed at some point. <laughs> yeah, would have come in and like, what's this? Oh, it's not, fire. It's not like he's removed a panel in an office. Maybe maybe the cleaning there. staff is all. Maybe they're all Ewoks. They must be, or I'm assuming just low-level droids that are just thinking, right. no, we'll just clean the floors and yeah. we won't bother cleaning the shower head. Because surely that has to be done. Just but at some point you're gonna go. it's an area you could put a towel up on there, surely. But we you know, in, in episode 10, what we end up effectively seeing is how the prison break takes place. You have the great moment at the beginning where Kino Loy just screams, No one is getting out, you know, like when they, you know, but they realise that the only opportunity they have is when um, Olaf, who died, um, had a had a massive stroke at the end of episode nine. Um, that that's the only way they're going to be able to get it to work, which involves hitting on the water pipe. Yeah, as well, it's it, it's the realisation as well. But they really do have nothing to lose here, like because it's it's it really well, they're gonna is. Die there. They're going to die. They're never going to be released. They're never, they're never released. being released, as we find out why. Um, unless you're one of the lucky people, because you know, <laughs> we're at the end of their shift, and I think actually, do we need these lads? But they're going to have them building more stuff for luck, regardless, aren't they? They so, just get transferred, right? Like that's the whole idea. Is like, well, they made a mistake. They sent someone who's being released back into the system instead of sending them to another prison. And I thought that because we were talking about this for episode nine, we were like, yeah. can 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 this episode ten, can this prison break, can it live up to the hype? And my God, it did. Yes, this so the way it was staged. The idea that they're going to short circuit the floor by yeah. by causing a water leak, and like they've timed it. It's like okay, the most vulnerable they are is when they put a new person on the floor because they're going to lower the lift, they're going to jam the lift, they're going to attack the guards, they're going to just rush it because they don't have enough guards. And this is, turns out mm-hmm. to be true. Like they don't have enough guards. Yeah. And I think one of my favorite moments was just like the guards hiding in utter terror because like if they are found out they're going to get ripped apart by these by the prisoners before they escape but first and foremost they're gonna they're gonna kill every guard that they see you know like i'm like that they those guys in the control room that they left alive like you know and, and casting i don't think they're alive i think someone some other yeah. prisoners found them and just destroyed them <laughs> And they found yeah. all the weapons as well. I mean, but it's it's an incredibly dramatic piece. The way that you know you have the short circuiting on on the floor as well, the kind of just sheer like you're really stuck in like there's some brilliant direction going on here because it's it's almost like a video game. The way that the level is set up, you don't really know what's around the corner, so you're kind of seeing it firsthand for them as they're like kind of this you know managing to get through and go. Okay, there's only twelve guards on this floor at any one time. 
where are they going to be you know loads lots of you know of the prisoners that you kind of become familiar with more by face than anything else you see them and they're you know a, a lot of them end up dying like kind of along the way as well um what it does end up with is um you know 5000 or so prisoners chanting one way out um and as they were about start uh, and as they were uh, uh, about to run out kino then sees that it involves diving into the sea and for him he can't swim so it's almost like well what happens there and he hesitates at the edge but you're assuming that the others would push him in you're kind of left wondering how many people are going to survive this obviously Cassian survives this uh, along with Melshi who obviously we see in in Rogue One as well which kind of is again just his casting alone makes you think like that's a detail they could have easily forgotten they didn't need to necessarily put into the Andor series but they but they've managed to do this so yeah I thought just the way that this was staged as a piece of kind of like it's not OTT like we saw with the eye and we see in the series finale this isn't about big SFX heavy set pieces. This is about building tension in kind of traditional ways through good writing, good direction, good editing, and good acting. Yeah, Andy Circus, like his evolution from like the the guy who's just like I'm 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 perfectly fine with the way things are because like it's the only way I'm gonna get out is like if we keep producing and if and everyone does their job and we obey the rules till the realization that there's no one leaving it doesn't matter what you do you're staying there forever it doesn't matter how good of a worker you are or how many you know how diligent you are about following the rules and this his awakening from that to the person to the point of like telling everyone fight get on the tables climb and that's a theme that recurs throughout anything involving cassian Endor is, is the word is the idea of climbing you know, we Nemec says it to him in escaping in the eye, climb, you know, at this point. Um, K2SO in Rogue One tells Cassian, climb with the, with the Death Star plans at the end of Rogue One. Mm-hmm. It, it's just something that you keep hearing about climbing. And this is like, this is perfect, like illustrated, you know, like literally with the prisoners climbing the, the lifts, getting off the floors and running rampant throughout the prisons to get to the top to the surface so they can jump in the ocean i personally believe like he survived i think we just don't see it i think it's entirely possible like he got pushed into the water he's like mm-hmm. uh, and then someone sees oh we gotta he's one of us we gotta save him and they took, they took him to shore like is it entirely possible that one of the big reveals of season two will be like at the end of an episode oh skin alive i don't think so i don't think i would not be surprised that happens yeah no, no, it, it's, it's, it takes up, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I think he'd be, you can get away with that. And I think as well, given the kind of reception and everything else, I can't see why Andy Circus wouldn't be kind of up for it as well. It feels like it's a, it, I think that's part of the sort if the, if you can have characters like um, Kino Loy, like Alex Fern's character, um, who's with Cyril, I can't remember his oh, name. Lieutenant Musk. Lieutenant Musk. That's it if you can have them where you feel like actually this is how you start to win people round to the kind of rebellion and the overall message about, about like kind of the inherent corruption that takes place. I think like that's a, that's a great stuff for season two, like, and you know, be able to have their, you know, 
there is other things that happen in this episode, one of which we're going to get to. I know it's one that you, it might be arguably your favourite moment of the series. I mean, it's up there with, with mine on there, but we should mention we do have Mon Mothma meeting uh, Dabo um, Skulden, um, who it's not money he wants as a favour, uh, as much as a favour. That favour is in the traditional, is it um, Tridrillin ways? I'm sure. Tridrillin, yeah. yeah. Tridrillin ways. Um, his son can meet her daughter. Um, yeah, it's, it's a betrothal. Dis- they want yeah. a betrothal. Exactly. So he can kind of marry himself into high society, effectively. And, you know, she outright refuses at this point. However, you know, we will see more of that in the next two episodes on there. But the other big kind of reveal that we have in this, as much as anything else, is that we have Luthen and his uh, mole on the uh, inside at the ISB, Lonnie, who yeah. he has to get a very complicated elevator system that looks like something out of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, frankly. It's a very Willy Wonka-esque. Um, going sideways as well as they're on the as they're like kind of on comms and he's um revealing um he's telling him that Miro's getting closer to the truth about like the kind of middlemen and the stolen imperial gear um and it's also the fact that they know about the uh spellhouse raid as well um uh, with Krieger uh, and what they intend to do however Luthen you know decides that 50 men is being killed as a sacrifice worth taking, you know, in order to sustain the fact he's got this kind of highly influential mole on the inside. Lonnie's very much getting cold feet, saying that he's a father now, and six years into the operation, he doesn't know if this can continue. And then what we end up getting is a a kind of phenomenal monologue here, which I think you've got a few notes on, um, regarding... Uh, from Luthan Rail kind of explaining his motivations, which is just a phenomenal piece of acting. Well, the, 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 you know, the, the reason Wani wants to meet Luthan is he wants out. Yeah. He doesn't want to be the mole anymore. He wants to leave ISB altogether. <laughs> and Luthan asks him, what are you going to do? What are you going to tell ISB? He's going to like, oh, my, I'm, my health is bad. I, my, my wife's family has a import business. And he just says, no, you know, as you say these words that it's impossible, <laughs> I'm not letting you go. Like I'm going to sacrifice 50 men in Anton Krieger to save your life, to save your position in the ISB, to save your position in the, in the Alliance. And he he talks about like, you know, he, he just, you know, tells him what he wants to hear. He's like, I, I think about you. I think about your sacrifice. And this prompts Lonnie to ask him, what do you sacrifice? And, and if you don't mind, I'm just going to read. Yeah, go for it. He talks about, he says, calm, kindness, kinship, love, I've given up all chance at inner peace. This is my favorite line, by the way. I've made my mind a sunless space. It's amazing. I share my dream with ghosts. I wake up every day to an equation I wrote 15 years ago from which there's only one conclusion. By the way, 15 years ago, Order 66. Um, I'm damned for what I do. My anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my eagerness to fight, they set me on a path in which there is no escape. I yearn to be a savior against injustice without contemplating the cost. And by the time I looked down, there was no longer any ground beneath my feet. What the fuck? That's amazing. What is my sacrifice? I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. 
I've burned my life to make a sunrise that I know I'll never see. And the ego that started this fight will never have a mirror or an audience or the light of gratitude. So what do I sacrifice? Everything. And honestly, this is like up there for me with like Riker Hauer as yeah. Roy Batty, his monologue in the at the end of Blade Runner. This is how good this is. This is like, because if you break this down, it's like, the, it tells you everything you need to know about Luton Rail, right? Yeah. It tells you like, what he what what he is willing to do to defeat the empire it tells you what he's given up to defeat the empire like everything here is loaded with meaning and and i i and I, we were talking off air like i do believe that this is this has even more close to like the fact that he might possibly be a jedi who survived order 66 and the way he fights the the empire is not using his any skills he has as a jedi or or might have as a jedi it's to become more like like a Sith, actually, to be more like the the tools that Palpatine used to mm. become the Emperor, to take mm. over the, the the Republic and turn into the Empire. So, it's it's a really interesting um, way to end this episode is to have deliver this monologue. And again, like he was kind of quiet for a couple of you know episodes, you know, with Luthen, and then we just bam, we get the episode with Sog, you know, we get the meeting with Sog Guerrero, then we get this, uh, incredible, yeah. Yeah, it's it's absolutely like I mean, it really is um, a phenomenal piece of acting. This is why you bring in someone like Stellan Skarsgård, isn't it, in, in in a role like this? But it it's it's phenomenal. Um, you can, I can I, imagine this is what Tony Gilroy showed to him. This is what, this is going to be, yeah. What your character says, like read it. I'll explain the context to you, but read it and let me know if you want to do this role. And he probably read this like. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. or maybe he just said Star Wars. Oh, I'm in. Yeah, yeah. I, he I'm might free. well have done. I mean, you could imagine an actor like that, sort of thinking, okay, you, you might, you know, if we, the theory you, you've said really does hold credence more and more, and particularly after this, after this speech. But the idea of like, how would you convince an actor like this not to just play a Jedi in what we might think is a, a kind of a typical sort of stoic Jedi figure? Um, you know, here what you're getting is the kind of almost like the anguish of someone who it's, I don't know, it might be someone who is like kind of religious enough faith who has to kind of effectively abandon that for the greater good of, you know, and then it comes at that kind of great personal cost. And he makes it clear because he's Stellan Skarsgård and he can, you know, the, the whole conversation here is is fantastic as well. You see the logic to the plan but it also then makes you realise that when you are a rebelling force up against a sort of tyrannous regime, you are the the only way you're going to end up winning is you know fighting fire with fire, and it means taking on the tactics that your enemy would use, yeah, rather than you know the tactics you would like to use. Bring back to Game of Thrones, it's like you've got to fight like the Lannisters, not like the Starks. Like that's really kind of where you need to be with this. <laughs> um, but we, you know. We get into episode 11 and, you know, we see, uh, we did see at the end of episode 10, Andor and Melshi uh, arriving on land on here. It starts off with them. They're kind of on a, on a cliff face, but um, effectively what they end up seeing is a, um, they see a quad jumper and they think, oh, we're going to be able to jump off the planet. And they see two aliens here at this point. One of the few times we kind of see, like kind of proper alien figures uh, throughout the series. 
they make a a run to try and steal it when they they think they're distracted and it comes out with these quite horrible web shooters which give you kind of big lord of the rings like kind of the whether the giant spider kind right. of vibes from it as well um their names are apparently freedy and greedy on here i have to admit i had to put on closed captioning for this because i can answer a bloody word they were yeah i was just i was like i, I turned around my girlfriend i was like i don't really i don't know what they're saying here I have no idea were, were um, you like turning are, are these actors from wales are these welsh mm-hmm. actors no just kidding just kidding off of, off newcastle um one of the two there which would be great it would very much carry on the British theme that they have going on here. Um, and they kind of have some backs and forth. You know, you wonder what's going to end up happening to them. And then effectively, the aliens admit they're not happy with the prison, which has siphoned all their water and, and they have to scrabble for scraps. They manage to kind of talk their way out effectively. And then they give them the ship. And then they're off to... Um, well, they're going to well, give them a ride. They don't give them the ship. They say, hey, we, can we drop you off? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm also- and- Neamos, dro- drop us off Neomos. in Ibiza, basically. Yeah, is, it's is like we want, we saying. want, tech, we want techno, Cancun. I, we want techno music and, uh, you know, uh, straws, straw, straws and drinks and little umbrellas and drinks. That's what we yeah. want. Um, but I gotta say, the 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 Easter egg in this was great. It's it's a quad jumper. So I don't know if you remember, first time we ever see a quad jumper, is in the Force Awakens because it's a type of ship that on. Um, what was it? Uh, what was the planet called? The one that Ray is stuck on. I can't. My, my brain fart here. Uh, Jakku on Jakku. Yes. So her and uh, Finn are gonna try to escape the Tie Fighters, and they say, and Ray's running towards a quad jumper, and, she, and he's and, she, and then Finn's like, "What about that other ship? It's closer." He goes, "She says that's a piece of junk." Unfortunately, or fortunately, the Tie Fighters destroy the quad jumper, and then they go to the other ship that's a piece of junk, which is the Millennium Falcon. Oh. So. Um, so that's the first time we see. So when they say quad jumper, I'm like, oh shit, it's a quad oh. jumper. It's okay. There you go. Cool. Little like I like these little touches that aren't like hammering you over the head that this is Star Wars. But it's like if you're a fan, it's cool. It's like oh shit, a quad jumper. But if you're not, if you're not a fan devoted to like you know OCD like I am, then it's just another ship. It's cool. It, it's it's honestly to God. It's you know it. it, it that's a really cool detail. And again, it adds into this these little details that we're seeing kind of siphoning through as well. And this is where you get like the kind of, you know, it's not the kind of thing that Tony Gilroy would necessarily be almost like deliberately picking up on, but it's like you can imagine when they're kind of plotting it out and working how this is going to tie into other things. You go, oh, okay, yeah. We've got this Probably reason. the set designers or the prop yeah. managers are like, hell, we can we just put a, like, honestly, like, like the the junk ship the junkyard the ship junkyard on ferrix is like full of easter eggs i've talked about this before it's like there's almost every ship in that thing is like from other star wars properties that i recognize like i have yet to see anyone like point out that one of those ships is the shadow caster from star wars mm. rebels that used by you know used by a bounty hunter who's friends with sabine wren like no one's pointed that out but it's like okay there's the ghost there's a you know there, there's the ship that's the ghost is based on there's like a y-wing there's like you know, um, another quad jumper. They're all, it's like, it's so cool. Like, and Luthen's, Luthen's shop is full of Easter eggs, but you don't have to know any, what any of these are. You just know he collects antiquities. That's all you need to know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, moving on from the episode, we actually see, we catch up again with Mon Mothma here and a really great conversation with Vel 
while they're watching Mon Mothma's daughter kind of in her kind of dangerously Scientology-esque kind of religious training that um, that she's kind of very much into uh, at this point in time. She admits that um, she's been taking out 100,000 credits out of the family trust each month for the rebellion. Then she was contacted by one of the bankers back home that so the Imperial inspectors are going to be taking a look in the books. Um, says she's done what she can um however in order she had to that's why she ended up using tay colmer we saw an earlier episode the kind of banker friend from back home and now there's four hundred thousand credits missing and all eyes are going to be on her vel sees the kind of horror of what it is um and realizes when you know um that mon which she says she does have a solution and then she ends up staring across at her daughter so she realizes she is going to have to marry off her daughter to the son of uh, Davos Skulden as well. So that, but her daughter's into it. That's the that's the crazy that's thing. It. Now, if it were me, I'd be going. All right, this is a bad situation. I'm not necessarily proud of this, but she seems game. So let's let let's let this slide. It's yeah. an interesting because she they make a point of saying like this old, this kind of like way of thinking about I suppose like being. Like I think it's kind of religious, right? Like yeah. this, this idea that like a lot of um, people from Chandrilla break away from like Mon Mothma's generation. But though, even though she, like, it's heavily suggested that's how she met her husband. She was betrothed yeah. to him, and she, she, he wasn't her choice. She just followed the custom and married him. But you very Vel, much tell that given the void between them, really. And, and Vel rebel rebelled against this, like because with her own sexuality, but also she did not want to be stuck in a, a loveless marriage with somebody. And then mm -hmm. so, but it's interesting that moving away from Coruscant, like people like children of a certain age, teenagers on on Coruscant from Chandrilla embrace the old ways. And so they're into like this, like, I don't, I don't know what this is trying to say. Is it something like a response to modern Imperial life on Coruscant or something like that, that they think, like, I... Oh, we don't want to be part of that. We want to, we want to be part of like an older tradition that that speaks to our culture there is and there are plenty of articles and i always think that these kind of think pieces are quite dangerous generally but there are lots of things where it's about younger generations being slightly more puritanical like there is being like a kind of almost a response to generation z and you know millennial culture effectively and you know trying to kind of rebel against that so i mean it, it's at least if you're playing around with these themes, again, it's the kind of thing which you realise is horrible, but it fits in perfectly with Star Wars. It's just never a side of Star Wars that we see actually explored, you know, because very rarely do we see kind of how relationships take place. But it makes sense that kind of a lot of sort of things around tradition and culture and religion are going to be the, the kind of dominant forces here. Um, we do also, um, you know, uh, see Luthan. Uh, I should before I get to Luthan. Actually, we do see Cyril in this episode. Sergeant Mosk, Alex Ferns, one of my favourite actors, um, calls him in a in a very patchy phone line. Tells him about Marva Andor's mother um, passing away, and about Andor's going to possibly be at the funeral. Um, and you know, I think is it in this episode where Cyril steals the credits in order to, to yeah from his mom, well, yeah from his mum <laughs> to travel over on a big gamble, really yeah to for Deirdre Miro 
obviously, on here. No, he doesn't know she's going to be there. I think he's working out. I think for him, he's. It's about if she isn't going to be there. It's about almost in a sense, can he capture and or help cap, capture that in order to impress? I I did wonder. No, but like that's her. secondary to his obsession is with is with Cassian. Just to capture Cassian, like she's just happens to be something that 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 caught his eye along this obsession to 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 capture Cassian Endor, and now when we talk about the last episode, like now she's obviously they're going to be part, a team now, mm-hmm. right? It, going through into se- season two, but no, he doesn't know that she's going to be there. He he just wants to get Andor. Like that's, that's his obsession. Mm-hmm. Like that's why he's, I mean, he's crazy. Let's, let's just be, yeah. put it out on the table. Like Cyril Karn is a fucking nutcase. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we realize this is the very, really, he's like, like he's, he's, he's one of these fucks that would like, be out like in a polo shirt and fucking tiki torch yelling about fucking his his like woke culture and shit like that that's how yeah. fucked up he is right so replacement um, theory you could see yeah, him talking fucking, about anyways he's he's nuts this dude <laughs> this guy is, really like, is like every every bad cop you never want to meet in real life is like it's fucking Cyril Karn right there well we move over from him over to Luthen who has um the first big kind of Luthen moment is um him going to see Saul Guerrero, who um, effectively wants to join in on the uh, Spellhouse right now. Spellhouse, yeah. Yeah, on on the on that. But, you know, um, Luthan doesn't want him to do it, doesn't really want to explain why. Um, eventually, Saul manages to get that kind of out of him. There's a good bit of double play with, um, you know, a, a, that ends up with the uh, assist... Uh, Ends tubes. up with one of Saul Guerrero's tubes. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, I love tubes. I from Soccer I Am, a reference I know you won't get, but there's uh, <laughs> tubes. Um, but basically, he says, you know, he's willing to let Krieger go and die because effectively the mole that they have inside the Empire and Lonnie is invaluable. And um, do they let Krieger go down? Do they play the long game? Do they warn him, save his life? But then effectively they'll find out the mole, they'll realise someone is on the inside on here. And he explains, you know, that this would make them feel cocky. The fact they would have done this, the fact they would have, you know, Krieger gets the blame for Aldani. We kind of see this with Bix as well. Um, when she is kind of made st- stare an image of Anton Krieger as well. And she doesn't say anything, but it's almost like she realizes all she needs to do is nod her head at this guy. And then the torture is effectively over because they think they've caught the person who's uh, Axis, responsible. They think, they think that, that that's access. So yeah, yeah, they do there. Um, and about, you know, uh, we then see him heading off, but that's not the end of Luthan's adventures here. No, in, what is a, a set piece I didn't see coming? And I know, again, mentioning it with my girlfriend, watching it with her, where she was just like, bloody hell. Like, that is, that's quite cool. Um, an Imperial Star Destroyer turns up. Like, no, actually, um, it's, it's, a, it's an Arrestor class cruiser. Oh, it's it's, it's smaller than, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, not, it's not a Star Destroyer. It's, it's not a Dreadnought. It's an Arrestor class. Ah. Uh, it's the Cantwell style or Cantwell class. It's an it's an arrestor. Basically, these are to capture smaller ships, pirates, yeah. and the such. So, um, it and they're there across, because they're yeah. 
they're monitoring activity from the planet because they've seen plenty of rebel yeah. activity. So, so they specifically reference the partisans, which is Sagrera's yeah. group of rebels. They're they're the ones that you see in 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 Rogue One. They're they're a more extreme faction of the, yeah. of, of rebels. Uh, they're essentially they're terrorists, basically. Yeah. Um, so and they're of course like they're situated on this planet called Segra Milo, and they're patrolling the Segra Milo uh, system. They don't know Saw's on that planet. Um, but they come across Lupin's starship, the, which is a class of starship, mm -hmm. like a transport ship called the Fondor Hallcraft. Fondor is a is a shipyard in like the Kuad and and the Corellia that that's famous for making starships. This, I like the fact that they just call it a Hallcraft, or the, it's like saying yeah. my your Beamer or your your Ford, your Ford van or something like that. I just think it's kind of cool that it doesn't have a name. They just call it by its classification of what kind of ship it is. And they say, oh, we're going to board you because we want to make sure you're not a pirate. Mm. And this is where fucking James Bond, Star Wars James Bond comes out. Wow. Christ above, does it? What a handy, like, in terms of an onboard, like, kind of uh, Android companion. It's not really. It just looks like a camera. It's just like, yep, yeah, find me a fake ID. Comes up with a straight up with an older and fake ID. But then, yeah, like you mentioned with the boarding on here. Jesus Christ. Did you see this coming? Uh, well, I knew something like this was coming because I I saw the clips of the of the ship from the trailers and teasers, ah. but I didn't know the extent of what like the ship could do. It's like so he's stuck in a tractor beam. He asked yeah. the ship, "What's the level? What power level is that?" It's at two. Okay, he wants it higher. So then he turns on the thrusters to like try to escape or make it seem like he's trying to escape. And they say, "Turn it up to five. Perfect. That's what he wants. He's arming the countermeasures, which yeah. is which are like um like. Uh, like these shoots in the back of his ship, like yeah. hidden shoots in the back of a ship that emit basically debris through the back. And the force of the tractor beam draws him in with such velocity that it destroys the tractor beam, which is brilliant yeah. using the, the tractor beam's own power to help destroy it. He escapes and then they're freak. The, the Imperials on the ship are freaking out. They're like, what the fuck did he just do? <laughs> and then they say, okay, send out the, the, the X-Wing. So they have an X, I think two X-Wing, two or three X-Wings plus a, 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 a Thai boarding craft. This is not mm. a bomber. It looks like a Thai bomber. It's not a Thai bomber. It's a Thai boarding craft. These are seen in other in Star Wars properties. Um, so he decides, well, I have to, I can't just like leave. I have to still calculate the hyperspace route that I want to use to escape here. So he has to fight them, and which he does. He activates oh. the hidden, hidden, hidden uh, blaster turret in the top of his ship. He he takes out two. He takes out the bomber. He takes the boarding craft. He takes out one of the other Tie fighters. There's two Tie fighters left. So he. I was hoping he destroyed the ship too. Like, but then yeah. he circles around. He he buzzes the the the, the bridge of the of the arrestor class. A ship and then he goes back and then he activates another thing that i think leads credence to the fact that he might mm -hmm. be a, a fucking jedi he essentially activates on the on the sides of his ship are basically two giant lightsabers yeah <laughs> attached to the ship and he turns them on and he does a spin because as we learn from the phantom menace spinning is good spinning is a good way yeah. as, as, as anakin would say young anakin skywalker would say and he destroys the two remaining starships you know, his his computer, his on on ship computer says calculations are complete. He jumps into hyperspace, and then you know everyone that's on the arrestor class destroyer are just like that, holding their dicks. It's great. That last shot is phenomenal. 
the one of the um the commander on the uh on the ship just sort of in amazement of what he's just seen as the camera kind of pans down realizing the trouble that he is in like for for this necessarily happening because they're penny pinches as well oh so yeah assuming, yeah he lost they, the ship he lost the rebel he he lost an air wing yeah <laughs> so much shit this guy he's massive amounts of trouble like he, he might get he might be taking a visit to mustafar to see a certain lord lord vader you know what i mean oh yeah so yeah it's especially when i find out exactly who it is as well but i mean that's not the last thing we see in this episode in fact we we kind of it, it's almost like um we go to uh nemos it is nemos isn't it um and we have andor trying to send a message back home uh to marva but then I'm not sure who it is he he, he speaks Zan, to. Zan. Zan, who we yeah. see primarily, you know, a lot in the last episode, but also one of the kind of mainstays of, of the ferric social scene. Um, but he passes on that, like, you know, she's passed away. Um, he's obviously kind of like heartbroken, realised it was going to happen. I think the last time he saw her, he was wanting to take her away and she didn't want to go. Um, he hands over his gun to Melshi, who says to him that people need to know what's going on on Narkeen, what happened on Narkeen 5 and what else is going on there. And we see kind of Andor at that point where it's about like kind of, well, what is he fighting for at this stage and sets us up for a glorious finale. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because when we first see Niamos, it's it's pretty happening place. It's a lot of people enjoying the beach and stuff like that. We see yeah. it now. There's no one on the beach. No one's enjoying yeah. nothing. Because the Empire has just cracked down on everything. They probably arrested half the tourists. Yeah. So it sent them to prisons to make more parts for the Imperial War Machine. So um, I think it's it's telling, like, before, okay, people still enjoying life, partying it up. Now, no, Empire's cracked down even more. And it goes to the idea of, like, you create, you make them tighten their fist. And this is how rebellion, the rebellion will grow because people are just going to get tired of being squeezed and like as princess leia family famously tells grand moff tarkin of the bridge of the Death stars like the more you squeeze the more star systems will slip through your fingers <laughs> great line he's cracking line it's a it's a you know it's building us up now to the to the, to the finale which we're on to called rick's road um and it's a it's kind of a really interesting start because we have well, effectively what we end up seeing really in these in these kind of open stages is Wilmon, who um his he was the young lad whose father got murdered by the Empire because he effectively controlled the the tower, the radio tower, which they're able to get in contact with um with Luthan Rail. Um so effectively you have you have him building a bomb, which um and you also get Deidre uh, arriving on Ferrix, checking about how they're going to be handling the funeral pr- processions for Marva as well. Um, we see the Bix is still being held captive on here. Um, about the fact there's a maximum of 40 people allowed to attend, and, and it was increased from 30 thanks to the Daughters of Ferrix, of which um, Marvel was like a member of. Um, and I don't really know what the equivalent is. They describe it as a social club. But it's uh yeah I, I i i get the impression it's like it's kind of like almost an um unofficial governing body like yeah. a cultural governing body like if they say we're gonna devote like some 
time and effort to helping this family, then everyone on Fairx goes and helps that family. Or we're gonna yeah. we're gonna we're gonna do a project where we're gonna clean up this park for the kids, then they all do it. Yeah. They just community they're community leaders. I was gonna say it feels more like a local council, if you could think of it like that. Like kind of your local council where it's going to be the nuts and bolts of everyday life that they're dealing with as well, rather than like a high council of sort of town elders or anything else. And I think that's great because I think it makes what Ferrix always is and what it comes across is like the ultimate kind of working class community, mm-hmm. but it's very, very close. It's like a very, very close knit community as well. And the traditions like such as, you know, Marva's body being turned into a brick, you know, these are things that are incredibly important to them. And, it, you know, sort of it, it gives credence to what, what we were saying earlier on about how, you know, these things, these traditions, like an Aldani as well, that the Empire just sort of disregard and take, they don't realise how much it means to people as well. And it's the kind of, it's the biggest kind of example of Empire overreach. And it kind of lays the foundations for how people feel about the Empire as well um she they do talk in terms of the planning about bringing snipers but miro refuses just saying you know she wants cassie in a lie because she wants you know as she says uh as we hear about anton krieger like dead bodies that you don't get any information off the dead they're just gone then at that point um so kind of setting up uh the proceedings along the ricks road we also go over to mon mothma who and I thought this is a very clever scene. Mm. She's in the back of the car with Perrin in there, and she says, "You're back gambling again." Now she asked the driver to kind of for privacy first of all, knowing full well that the driver, uh, Cloris, is going to be uh, eavesdropping. Something she suspected, and she mentioned, you know, in the first couple of episodes about having a new driver on there and saying that he's back gambling. He says he's not insisting that he's been lied to. What's happening with the money? Saying that there's irregularities there as well. Just getting this information out there in order as a double bluff. Figuring whoever it gets fed back to, which is Blevin. Um, we haven't seen as much ever since he's kind of dressing down uh, earlier on. Go, going back there to feeding that false information to try and explain away like the kind of investigation into the into the missing 400,000 credits from the family account that they're, that they're investigating as well. Um, I thought it was great for this um, because it, it showed how aware she was, how unaware Perrin is about all of this stuff that is going yeah. on. He really doesn't have a clue. It goes to show you like the length to which she is going to go to protect herself. Yeah. And by extension, the, the rebellion, yeah. which she still believes in, Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's willing to, you know, like I I, I will say this about Mama Athley, like if her daughter said I don't want to meet this guy kid, you're gonna betroth me to I don't want to do it. She wouldn't do it, but her daughter wants to do it, so she begrudgingly will follow along with ultimately what her daughter wants to do as being part of this you know religion or you know tradition from mm-hmm. their home planet. But this is I think genius on her part because you because we never saw a scene where someone told her to do something like this Mm. she came up with it her own like she thought of it on her own and she knew as much as she dislikes her husband i don't think she hates him but as much as she dislikes him she she wasn't willing to do this until now like she has Mm. to do it she has to explain the missing money why there's irregularities and the best way to do that is to you know put it out there 
without the without Clo- uh, Clovis, I think that's the name of him, the the driver. He's a yep. spy for the ISP. Chloris. Chloris. Who I recognize as a child actor from a show called Press Gang, which stars Dexter Fletcher, who I'm not sure you might be aware of Dexter Fletcher. I've directed his face. Yeah. Yeah. He's now he directed Bohemian Rhapsody. Like he was like brought in when Brian Singer was removed from that project as well. But yeah, he starred with it. It was like a kids' TV thing. And I always see this guy. It's just very weird seeing like kind of a child actor, you know. Playing yeah. his age, really, which is a man in his early fifties. But sorry, so, as you're saying, she she just says like she accuses him of gambling, and he's denying mm. it. And, and like I believe him. I don't think he has been. No, like he like because she says like don't do it here on Coruscant. Do it another Easter egg. Great. She says if you got to do it, go to Canto Bight, which is the gambling planet from the Last Jedi. Um, and I thought what a great reference. Um, but he's just like, no, the people try to take you down through me. They're lying. I'm not gambling anymore. And then like, and then he's like, where would I get the money? And this is the part. This yeah. is the part that that she wanted him to say. That's the part I worry about the most. And th- they, Cloris reports this back to Blevins, and he's like, ah, this is what explained the irregularities of their banking. He's been taking money to cover his gambling desk. This would also explain why she's marrying her daughter off to a gangster's son. Because yeah, he made uh, he made the comment. Oh, I've met I've I've met your husband. I've met him before. Oh, where would that be? Now we know. Probably at a yeah. illegal casino or something. Maybe one that he owns. So now she's kind of in the clear right now for the money that's been missing. She's in the clear that she's gonna it's gonna get replaced. She's got maybe another source of money. I don't think she, if she's smart, she won't take too much money. From her new, uh, you know, like her, the, her, her son, son-in-law's uh, father. But I just thought, wow, she she has adopted the the methodology of Luthen Rail, yeah, and to for just for her, you know, her survival. You know, yeah. it's as simple as that. It's great. I love this scene. I thought it was amazing. And it's it's realizing how in. I mean, I think a lot of this series and a lot of series two is, you know, we, we're getting how important she is within the rebellion. We're going to see a much more, I think, much more grounded practical side of that in season two. But I just loved, I mean, it's, it, and it's sort of credit to Genevieve O'Reilly as well, who's been outstanding in this series as Mon Mothma as well. So, yeah, it, it, it was, you know, I think with the Mon Mothma storyline on Coruscant, we've had, like, this has worked itself in a way, like we've really got an idea of, of what other things she's going to be sacrificing because I mean, we might as well go to it. What we see later, you know, sort of later on is, um, is, you know, her daughter meeting up with Davo Scott, uh, son there. So we do realize, you know, this is going to be happening, but it's, you know, I think it's it, that storyline and that arc, which also kind of has, we have Velen there as well. I think it's been again, like with Luke and the Rail speech we were mentioning earlier, you see the toll of this, of what this actually has on people, the sort of real life consequences that her daughter's marrying into a gangster's family. Again, it's like this idea of sacrifice. This is what yeah. she's sacrificing. She's yeah. gonna she's gonna um throw her husband under a bus. Yeah. Um, she's gonna she's gonna, you know, marry allow her daughter to marry the son of a gangster in order to to to, to cover up the money she's been using to fund the empire, mm-hmm. so the, the the rebellion, so they don't suspect her of it. Um, yeah, it's 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 all about like goes back to the idea of like what have you sacrificed? Mon Mothma can make yeah. an impassioned speed, but what she has sacrificed, she sacrificed a lot. Yeah, here 
you know, her career, her family to extend, like we, we never see her family again. Like, no. you know, who knows? So I think there's just more tragedy going to be coming her way in, in season two. Oh, I think so. He's going to be really pushed on that front. We go back to Cassian Andor, who's now on Ferrix. And, you know, he isn't, I mean, he must be aware that these, you know, there's going to be people there waiting, you know, waiting for him. I don't think he realizes possibly the scale amount of people because he must have thought while he was in prison surely they you know somebody would have worked out if they were looking for him that much that he would he would be there but um he stays out of you know away from all the imperial soldiers manages to visit his father's brick yeah and we have a great sequence again um uh, a kind of great british actor and gary beadle playing his dad um he's about he was in been things like eastenders as well um but he's also been in like sort of multiple sitcoms and whatnot. And it's like a kind of really nice moment about, you know, which kind of sums up very much like kind of almost like a Ferrix mentality of, I don't know what the device is, which parts they are, but basically saying, well, you know, these days these parts aren't used. All you need to do is clean them for sort of two minutes straight and they're worth more and more reliable than the stuff you can buy these days. And realizing that people don't look down for like the, the things they're you know the things that they might need in order to get through and i thought again you know another another really nice um sequence there so we see young cassian there as well and he he meets up with uh pegler who pegler, um, yeah. yeah who has the the ships that he was earlier on like kind so of he's like the, the 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 i don't know what the foreman or the yeah he's like the he run he helps like someone else owns the shipyard uh, yeah. but he he runs it he takes care of it he has he controls the guard dogs who happen to be at at bix's uh shop because pegla yep. is watching it for bix because they're gonna sell it because she's in prison yeah and she's not likely to come back so they're gonna try to sell it for her try to give her you know if she they can give her the money for her so she can carry on with her life if if, if she ever gets out of imperial custody probably yeah. not you know well and also he gets to meet uh brasso in secret um who you know says a message from marv where oh, you know beautiful it, scene which is great because you know Andor explains you know i wanted to take her away with me i wanted to get her out of it and he's like yeah we know and we know you know all the all the things on there and about how he was sorry you you go i'm sure you have no, sorry like so i what i love about these scenes like between Cassian and uh, Brasso, I'm trying to find the name of the actor who plays uh, uh, jo- uh, Joplin Septane. S- um, mm-hmm. He plays Brasso like between him and, and, and like Diego Luna, like there is like this amazing chemistry between these two where with just a few scenes that they have and a few lines of dialogue they have between one another, you can tell like how close they are as friends. These two characters are Brasso and Cassian. The like, one of my favorite parts is like when they when they meet again and i guess it's the sewers right underneath ferris mm-hmm. they mean the sewers the way they embrace like you just see cassian yeah. like clamp his arms around Brasso because he's so happy to see him and it tells you everything you need to know without any kind of uh, exposition or anything yeah. that these are these guys are brothers they love each other they grew up together and like the the message Brasso, and it's so heartfelt the message yeah. he gives to cassian from marva the best line is she I tell him I love him more than any wrong he could ever do. And I just yeah. like, holy shit, that is like profound yeah. on a level that I 
I I dream of attaining if I ever was a writer. You know, like that's just that's oh, beautiful. I think some of the earlier, like, like you, you have felt all the things you're going to need yeah. to feel. You know, this this idea of saying to him he's absolutely ready and that it's okay. There's no. It's like the loveliest thing he ever could have been told, basically, from his mother on here. And and Fiona Shaw, who is one of those kind of great actors who, when you have them, you use them kind of quite wisely and sparingly. And I think, you know, in this episode has a has another great speech on there as well at the same time. Um, it becomes clear, though, he's not, he's not going to leave Bix there with the Empire being tortured. Um, we also see... This is where all the pieces are kind of coming together. Not doesn't end up the way that we kind of think it necessarily will do, but we see Luthen arrive. Um, he's speaking with Vel. It's updated on the on the funeral, uh, and then what will happen? You know, should Andor be captured? Um, and they decide they're going to go to the hotel on there. However, it becomes very clear that this isn't going to go according to the plan that the Empire have of no more than thirty unless people deliberately don't want to count on Ferrix, because we suddenly hear the bells tolling. We hear the marching band. There are like what appears to be, you know, hundreds of people who are out and kind of like lining the streets of, yeah. of Ferrix here as well. So, so mm-hmm. the, the, the funeral march is the opening theme for every episode of Endor. Mm, yes. So yeah. each episode gets a little piece of music. And as we get towards this episode, we hear, the full instrumental piece that's been building every episode at the beginning of each episode with the opening title sequence. And then it's, I think that's just brilliant. It's like, okay, now you get the full piece. All the instruments are being played. You feel it. It's, it's, it's Marva's funeral march. And it's, I think it's just, just brilliant because it, it culminates in this, in this episode. <laughs> it's great. Oh yeah. It's, you know, we have Andor watch, you know, Andor watching on here as well. We have the Imperial soldiers lining up. And kind of forming a, a blockade at this point in time. At this stage, and it's going to be a very crass analogy, as sometimes it can be with these. What I was reminded by, or what I thought was going to happen, and kind of ultimately does, is is almost like a version of the um, Bloody Sunday massacre in Derry, where um, I want to say it's 1971. But I really should check this up on on here. It's where a lot of police protesters, Catholic priest protesters, um, 1972 it is, um, were shot on by um, the British Army. They were um, uh, effectively, you know, they were unarmed or the, had little arms on here. It, Like I say, it was a peace uh, parade, like sort of wanting for, it was a civil rights parade, like wanting equal rights for, for Catholics in Northern Ireland. And then effectively, it's the kind of thing where there's still investigations in it to this day, you know, and it was that kind of vibe that you had that, it was very much occupiers in a land that isn't there trying to dictate about people's local, uh, local cultures and what they shouldn't, shouldn't be able to do. Um, and here it's kind of like, you're going to get both sides squaring up and it felt very like, much like a Western. We yeah. kind of cut between various, even though it's like kind of almost like a set piece, this funeral, it's not like, it's not like the action that kind of spurs it on. You see all of the various characters kind of, going into place as people start chanting um stone and sky mm-hmm. here uh, as well at this point as the march is going on we see Sinter work into the march who's followed by i want to say is it uh, the guy's named corv who's been like kind of working undercover right yeah. rather badly at this stage 
but we also hear i'm trying to think of the the guy's name who is you know who kind of almost overhears that andor's going to be here and wanting him to uh, be Nucci. Nucci, that's it Nucci, yeah, Nucci. yeah yeah we um and he has to fake an argument with with Corv in order to be sort of brought into the back as well because um like we said he's He's overheard Brasso and he said his name earlier on. Um, he ends up being shot at the end. I can't think of it. He'll Sorry, come back who, I get confused. There's a bit of a big cast on here. Um, just think of when Nurchie overhears the the conversation about about Cassian Andor being in contact as well. With Zan. Zan between Zan and uh, and Brasso. And, Brasso. And, he try, and he tries to... Uh ply zen with drinks to like oh what do you you know if i was cassian i it drive me crazy if my mom died da, 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 da. and then you know he lets it slip i wouldn't like cassie got doesn't know anything about this right i wouldn't be so sure about that that you know zen's zen's not a good uh don't don't be taking him out on the out on the piss if you want him to keep you any no secret. christ no no he just spills it like all the info straight away um but then you know it all starts pick, you know, it's very much sort of building up to the kind of crescendo, which is really B2 emo, you know, setting up the hologram of Marva, yeah. which is, I could see this being a thing at funerals in the future, to be honest with you, someone doing a hologram, 3D hologram, Christ, if Tupac is still touring as a, as a 3D hologram, I'm sure someone will get it set up for their funeral and giving their kind of last, uh, you know, their, their last wishes. And it's a phenomenal speech, this. You know, starts. I've got some of the bits on here. I'm honoured to be a daughter of Ferrix, and she talks about like her history, sort of learning it when she was six, learning about the songs, about the um, tradition with the stone as well. And you know, she was. She says on here, I was always waiting to be inspired, but now I'm dead, and I intend to lift you and allow Ferrix to grow. Um, with her final line on there of fight the empire. And she just mentions about the, those bastards until one of the imperial, uh, one of the the kind of senior um, imperial. That's the guy who who wants who's basically the you know, he's in charge. Affairs, affairs. Yeah, I forget yeah. his name. He's the guy who says, "Oh, can I be prefect? I know it doesn't come with any extra pay, but I just want the title." And he's the one who suggests killing, like hanging, um, uh, Salman, which is mm-hmm. Wilmon's Wilmon's father. Like or you know, like he's, yes. he's basically when Deidre's not there, he's in charge of Ferrix. So, yeah. uh, he's like the garrison commander, I suppose, would be the best way to describe his position. Um, yeah, he he puts the his clo- his cloak over the uh, you know BTs the droid, yeah. his uh, his hollow emitter, but only half. So you still see her face half yeah. covered in shadow, which I think is a great touch. And she just continues talking about like you you know I was away, I we were all sleeping. There's a, yeah. I just like some of the lines, like there's a, there's a disease at the, you know, she uses the same kind of terminology that um, Major yeah. Partygas uses in the opening uh, in the, of the series where he's talking about we're healthcare workers. We have to find diseases, the symptoms and cut them out. They talk about the rebellion. She thinks of the, re- of the empires as a disease. Mm. She says it's a disease spreading from the center of the galaxy. And she's referring of course to Coruscant, which is the center of the galaxy. Ooh. And, yeah, I mean, something we didn't um, like mention earlier on in the kind of build up to this is is that we have Andor reading Nemec's manifesto. Yes, and there's a lot of similarities between what he reads in the manifesto 
and what um, the final speech from Marva manages uh, to deliver in there. Like again, you're just being reminded about some of the lines about they're not visiting anymore; they're staying. Like they're not going away, and about you know, there's been a darkness at the at the heart of it, and the empire. This is where the empire thrives, you know, in the darkness while we sleep, and we've all been sleeping like you just mentioned on there, like just phenomenal lines. And if we go even back to the, to the manifesto, when yeah. he's reading, reading about that, it was, it was one of the things that was brought up is like the final word that he says in it is try, try, try. which is kind of uh, the opposite of like anti Yoda, anti Yoda. There's no try. There's only do, but maybe it's <laughs> say try. I love the, 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 the idea. It's a different type of battle. Yeah. He's his, this is more, uh, you know, like you know, Jedi philosophy is more existential. Yeah. He's basically telling Luke, like, listen, you you give up too easily, so stop trying and just do something. Whereas Nemec is telling people, it's okay if you fail, just try. Because yeah, I I like the 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 idea that he puts forward that freedom is a natural state, and yeah. tyranny and oppression are not, and like they require so much effort and work. Mm. And they stretch like the resources of the oppressors mm. thinly because it's it's unnatural, and 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 like freedom will always win out in the long run because you can't sustain the amount of resources and effort it takes to mm. maintain tyranny. And I just this is like again the writing on this is so good, like oh. these ideas that and to to weave them into. Uh, a, a type of dialogue that fits into what we know about Star Wars. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't use this in like, you know, like you couldn't use this on in in a in a story set in our real world. The way, but the way they craft the the, the dialogue and and the ideas to fit Star Wars is really masterful. It's a very classical kind of presentation because I think you know with with science fiction you can present more of a classical type of yeah. a dialogue with with the idea that okay people actually speak like they're also in westerns and and you have all these you know samurai uh, mystics who are also you know some of them happen to be aliens is also occupy this world this the 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 diegesis of the world that we see in on, in these in these films and tv shows is i think it's great it's one of the things i love about star wars oh yeah yeah i you know i would definitely echo 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 all of that what afterwards we get is the kind of the thing that had been really building up to, which is the the kind of the natural outcome. So we see, you know, Brasso yes. take on a couple of people, belts them with the stone in hand, uh, which is really okay. what Marvel would have wanted, I think, in many ways. She he uses her funeral stone. So yeah. first of all, he he front kicks the prefect right in the chest. Yeah. Good fucking I was like fucking yeah, fuck yeah. And then he could like, have been working some- 90s all Japan, mate. Brasso, he had that kind oh, yeah. of build. He could have been triple crown champion. He throws yeah, a couple bring of guys him in around. As a tool, then he know. takes Marva Stone and he clocks a guy, a imperial guy with a helmet. He knocks that fucking helmet off. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, Marva would have loved it. Yeah, yeah. fucking knock some more of these bastards out. It was great. It, it's, it's, it's what you end up having is like almost like a there's there's a scuffle, but the Empire aren't shooting yet and then you end up with seeing what Wilmon has has built and the bomb he's built and he throws it in and it causes it's not just the bomb itself which blows up one of the um the the vehicles outside the um building in which a lot of the the kind of empire 
soldiers and officers are based, but it also sets off, it, it manages to kick off the other hand grenades there, there. So their explosions are, is a lot of explosions, but as with a lot of this series, it's quite understated. It's not like it's big and it's spectacular, but it causes a lot of damage. This is a result sort of changes then what happens with the empire and they decide to start shooting on people. And yeah. it's just like treat everyone like they're hostile, shoot everyone out, out on the streets on here. Um, you know, we have like, you know, a lot of um, like kind of death and destruction in it. And it's quite frantic. We see Deirdre being kind of knocked to the floor and it feels like she's being dragged along by uh, some of the Ferex residents. Um, we have Corv find Cinta, then trying to push him into a room and she stabs him, kills him um in there and when she meets up with Vel later on it's like worried you're saying well, it's, it's not her blood which again shows you that Cinta is willing to do the dirty work in this and she has no qualms about it whatsoever there's no fear in in her um we have Andor going to fight for Bix uh at, at this point in time works when he has a, he has a mate who works there which is also yeah. very handy which is which is a lovely touch. He pulls out the gun and he's like, "You're right, Cass." <laughs> he's like, "Sorry about your mum." Yeah. On here, there's a great bit where he does effectively an arm drag and he shoots a man in the heart. We yeah. don't see it cuts away at that kind of final moment, which I, again, that's canny editing because if you show a sequence like that, that's the thing that puts your rating up on there, which means less people are going to get to see this as a piece of work, and you don't need to have that kind of in there as well. Um, and we have, yeah, we have Bix being um, kind of rescued by by Andor at this point. She's still a mess, doesn't want to go. She's frightened of being hurt again, obviously. Um, we have Deidre, uh, grabbed by Cyril, who finds a gun, manages to drag off Deidre, who's in a state of kind of panic, ready to kind of stab him. Um, he very much, I don't know, he becomes, like you say, he, he's, he's a nutter. There's no way of getting around that. He's like, you don't she, need to thank me. Oh, she says, I should Denise, thank you. And he's like, Denise Gooch's performance in this scene, like she's mm. great throughout this whole show, but like this yeah. particular, because she has to show so many different emotions. She has to show the utter terror she felt at being grabbed by this mob that they, they're very like, again, if it wasn't for Sarah, they would have killed her. Yeah. They would have torn her apart. Um, Like, like then like she sees her. So she's expressing terror. She's expressing shock and bewilderment at, what the fuck are you doing here? Yeah. And then gratitude, you know? And then there's this like, I don't know what her, but in his eyes, he's like, I'm in love with you. Yes. <laughs> you fucking creep. Oh, yeah. This is, but, this is romantic comedy behavior in a non-romantic comedy yeah. location. Like, um, this, is, this is what he's up to. I, I'm so, I'm, I'm so curious and excited to see what their dynamic is next, next season. He, the one thing he has, he knows how, what Luthan Rail sounds like. He knows yeah. what Axis sounds like. So at that point, there still is that worth. And I think that's that's going to be the reasoning as well for bringing him kind of on board, how he works in the kind of dynamic of the ISB, because you're assuming he's going to end up in that kind of system there as well. Um, we have Luthan watching on in the distance. And it should also be noted as well, while Marva's giving... Um, uh, Marvel's hologram, you know, the, the big speech, you have Luthan kind of smiling because effectively she is. She's articulating a lot of the thoughts, obviously, that Nemec has had, but what is really the the kind of ethos behind the rebellion? And he sees that kind of effect on a crowd like this, and it's almost like it 
I want to say it kind of galvanizes him into the like kind of I, perhaps a bit more it's faith. Like a, it's in, like an affirmation of like yeah, what he believes in. Yeah. And, and, and like his philosophy is like, ah, uh, this is what I thought was going to happen. And it's yeah. coming true. And it makes him happy. It, it really does. Like he, he, you could tell he loves Marva's speech. He's like yeah. he kept enraptured by it. Like, oh my, this is what I want. This is what we need to defeat the empire. And like, and, and, and you know, before the explosion, like you can tell like, okay, this is going to go sideways. I got to get out of here actually, yeah. because it's going to kick off at any minute right now so and he does he jumps on his speeder back back to his back to his ship we have um you know a sort of few of the survivors being um put on a, the ship as it a pegler's yard um you know in, and then you know the dogs are kicking off and it's it's andor and bix so we've got bix on there yeah. we've got the droid on there we've got brasso on there we've got wilmon on there as well one of the other daughters yes. of Ferrix. Yes, she's referenced several times. Like she's really, yeah. she was really close with Marva. Yeah. So they were both daughters of Ferrix, and she's really close. She was, she's probably Marva's best friend. Yeah. So she's gonna pilot them out of here, and like this again, you know, Cassian tells her, you know, fly along here, and then when you reach this point, climb. Yeah. No comms, nothing, just climb. And again, this idea of escaping, of gaining, going to freedom is by climbing. Yeah. Uh, return back to that that idea. Um, we what do what do what do I want to talk about? Sorry. Uh yeah, they're gonna leave. Um yeah, what one thing we, we talk about like is is a uh, Bix. Mm. So she's during Marva's funeral. I thought this is great, you know, this is a great scene, like great performance. Is is like she's so enraptured by Marva's words because mm. she because she's from Ferrix, she's also a daughter of Ferrix, and you know this is mm. like a tradition that she believes in and she finds comfort in in the words and i think this inspires her to try to get over the the torture that she's been put through i think also the explosions um yeah. are what finally drives maybe the the voices out of her head for that at least the time being so cassie can finally mm. get her mm. out of there because she doesn't want to leave but then the explosions happen and then it's like okay now she he's like let's go let's go and she's ready to to leave so maybe that's the part process of her healing it's this metaphor of this explosion that kicks off this mm. this this you know this civil unrest on, in, on rick's road is also the the thing that's going to help the healing for bix from and i have to assume i would hope we're going to see dr gorst again oh yeah and he's going to run into cassian and bix and maybe he's going to be getting a new set of headphones himself yeah I was going to say, like, I mean, you really want a kind of eye for an eye style punishment for what he's doing, which is proper. Again, you know, any comparisons to kind of Nazi history, but there's very much a Joseph Mengler uh, kind of feel um, uh, around that character as well. You know, um, Andor says he's not going to be getting on the ship with them, though, at this point, but he says he'll find them, to which Bick says, you know, he, he always... He he always finds us, and then yeah. um, says to the droid, "You know, Aunt Cassian always finds us on there yeah. as well." Which again kind of suggests there is that point of like her feeling better because she's been in an utterly hopeless situation on there. But the reason he's not going there is um, he goes to meet Luthen, and as Luthen gets back to his ship, um, he realizes that someone else has gotten on board there, and/or says to you know has put his gun down on the side and says, you were coming here to kill me. So kill me or take me in. At which point 
we have Luthen sort of giving a little chuckle to himself. It's suggested it kind of ends on a cliffhanger. Spoiler alert, he doesn't shoot him. No, that's what he wanted. He wanted him. He wanted not just him for the Aldani job. He wanted him to join to join him to become a part of his network. He wanted him to be like what Vel and Cinta are and to be part a full member of his cadre, right? To to be part of his rebellion, his cell. You you would assume, like apparently Tony Gilroy said this season two will not start right away after it's gonna like quite a bit of time will have passed, several months will have passed between uh, the start of end between the end of Endor season one and the beginning yeah. of Endor season two, and you, each time you would think he's been he's being trained in the yeah. finer arts of espionage and maybe you know maybe Sinta's training him to become a better fighter or whatever. Who knows? But maybe learning how to fly the Hallcraft. Maybe that's going to be one of his ships. Um, yeah, I, I I he's happy. He's like this is like yes, you you are what I want. You're yeah. what I wanted this whole time. Like I, I didn't care about the star path you did. I didn't just want you for Aldani. I like. I think that the, the dream for him was like Vel would bring him back. They would finish the Aldani job. They would square away the money, and she would bring him back to to him to meet him, and he would convince him to join his cell. And so he got what he wanted. Like yeah. he looks at that like that Cassian will like, yeah, but Cassian had to want to join. It couldn't just be him coercing him to join. He wanted. He has to want to be part of the rebellion to, to have an awakening and he and luthan sees that yes you've been awakened because of your mother's death about and then yeah. when he tells him about narkina 5 and all this stuff he's gonna be like oh that's very interesting yeah. okay um so it's great um i will say i you know people make a make this kind of trying to link like b the droid the red marvis droid cassian's droid b as being going to be like the 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 personality of k2so in rogue one and probably who we're going to see in in uh season two of andor they'll probably he'll probably get k2so as his companion sometime before season two ends um i don't think that's true i think i think we never get the credit for who the 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 hallcraft's computer voice is i think that's alan tudyk that sounds like alan tudyk to me i think what's going to happen is they're going to take the the personality of the ships computer onboard computer luthan ships onboard computer and and put it into the the imperial uh dr- security droid that k2so yeah. will become and that's why we never see a credit for the voice of the computer ship though they credit everything else they credit all the extras that are are the kids in on canary yeah. they credit all them they credit and star wars credits every voice as well usually they don't credit this and this is a problem this is not just like beep beeping or any shit like that this nah. this, this this voice does actual dialogue okay why don't you t- reveal the name because it sounds like it's alan tudyk it's probably going to be k2so's personality matrix that's going to be put into this droid to yeah. to become cassian's uh you know assistant that so that i'm sticking with that usually recently my predictions have have come true i was gonna say i i good said in the prediction business i i called fucking osprey omega as being the, the real main event of russell kingdom come yeah. next uh, come january 4th i said that on several shows with before it came true and i'm taking my victory lap oh, here I'm really on that. Yeah. but uh yeah i think we'll unfortunately this you know we got one more thing to talk about jp but this brings us to was that not it? I switched it off as soon as the credits appeared. It was all Benjamin Carroll's uh, name. I thought we got, we got, there's nothing else we, there. We got, <laughs> we got, we got to wait two years for season two. 
Yes. I feel like crying right now. It's, I, I'll be super pumped. Like either way. Like I think it's going to be, it's the realization that this is going to be possibly the most critically, but I mean, I mean, the Mandalorian obviously was critically praised. We've got that in between as well. There'll be, you know, we'll, we'll have the other projects in there, but this is the one I'm going to be really pumped for. And I have yeah. to say, like for those of you who thought when the credits came on, switched off, don't. Because there was a glorious post-credit sequence on here. You mentioned it to me, and you said, "Wow!" And I was like, "Right, I'm behind. I need to get around to seeing this straight away." And if we ever wondered what those star things were, they were making on Narkina Five. I know there was a theory about they're not making them for anything. It's just sort of like kind of you'll get another. There'll be another. You know, it was one of the theories, wasn't it? That maybe another level is disam- is um, dissembling them for another to uh, to build them up. But in fact, no. It's being used by droids, um, which kind of kills a lot of the clerks theory about who was building the Death Star as well. Um, we have the droids using these stars, putting them into what is really, I don't want to say it's the tractor beam, but it's certainly where no, the main it's, it's kind the emitter of, dish for the yeah, super laser. For the super laser that destroys yeah. planets on yeah. the Death Star. So we see it and, it, and it's just at the final stage, like everything else has effectively been built. Yeah very much near completion just that final piece that's being built revealed yeah so that's the so they're joints basically they're yeah. they're joints to, to help you know put together the 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 emitter dish for the super laser of the death star and the first shot we see of rogue one is one of the first shots we see is the first time we see the death star in rogue one is it fine that the emitter dish finally being pushed into the main body of the satellite Mm-hmm. and attached and now the death star has been completed so to me this means that part of season two is probably going to be about an underlying theme an underlying plot point would be the rumors about hearing about the construction of the death star mm-hmm. in a rebel rebels storyline called the ghosts of genosis which features saw Gerrera, um it's about like the rumors of like what happened on the planet of genosis after attack of the clones Okay, so that's where they built all the droids, but also that's where they initially started the, the, the construction of Death Star before moving it over to Scarif. So we see kind of hints of that in Rebels. I think this is going to happen in season two of Andor, where it's going to be like, okay, we hearing this rumors of this, some kind of weapon that, that, that the Empire is building. What is it? We don't know. We got to find out. I, I would I will be over the moon if they somehow work in Mads Mikkelsen and Ben Ben Mendelsohn. That's what exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, um, and make it a big part because Tony Tony Gilroy says the the last shot of Android season two will be Cassian getting on board a ship to go to um, I forget the name of the, the that's a weird planet that's like two two halves of a like it looks like a hollowed out core of an apple. Yeah, like in joined by bridge i forget the name of the planet or the sat moon that they're on but that's that's the last shot that's going to be him going to that planet to to kick off rogue one yeah so he goes to um, daniel Mays's character doesn't he and that's like the beginning of rogue one proper and the chase yeah we we i think death star is going to be a ever-looming presence in the in in uh, season two it was and you need that because it's the again it's the the connective tissue with all of this revealing effectively how the Death Star is being built. 
and it is using slave labor, but they're not aware of all of these various component parts because you're thinking about, again, they're penny pinching accountants as well at the same time. So they're going to be thinking about how they're going to be doing this for free. A question I did have, I mean, we, we spoke about our general thoughts at the end. I, I don't know whether there are any unanswered questions. I did have one. Huh. Are we going to find out effectively about Cass's sister? I I hope not, honestly, because I don't think it's important anymore. I no. think the the idea that trying to find her is the is the the motivation for him to go to Marlena One. Yeah, and this kicks off our our journey with him. Yeah, she, she she you don't need to ever see like maybe, but if they don't, I don't care because yeah. it's I don't feel it's important. I don't feel you, he needs to find his sister to develop as a character. I think if he never finds her, that's more realistic. Yeah. But if it's always something that's lingering in the back of his mind, or if they, the empire tries to use that against him to lure him into trap, that's even better. But if we never actually see her again, that's, that's fine as well. I think that's yeah. be more appropriate and more realistic. Are there any criticisms you've got of the series? Because I mean, I struggle to to find any because there's nothing that really uh, it, it sounds uh, terrible. Really, it's it's it's, uh, it's only two Cyril's seasons. Cyril's character would possibly one I could understand. No, I don't because... have any criticisms. Like honestly, it's very it's very hard to poke holes in this. Yeah. Like unless you're a real, unless you're really super 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 OCD. Yeah, and try to put like holes in the timeline. You could probably do that. I don't, but I don't want to. I don't. I don't feel it's necessary to do no. things like that. Um, no, like I, I think just it's what a masterful show. It's like yeah. also like the way it's directed and the set designs. Like yeah. if you notice, if you go through the series again, you'll notice that hexagons, the, the you know, represent prisons. Like yeah, that's you know. Hexagon, like every every hexagonal shape in Mon Mothma's apartment shows her being trapped in her life on Coruscant. You know, the, the Narkina 5 is a hexagon-shaped prison. Like Cyril Karn, when he's working for the Bureau of Standards, his his kiosk is basically, yeah. uh, you know, everyone's kiosk is basically a series of hexagons. It's incredible. Like you've made, you, you've told the viewer, like every time you see a hexagon, it means oppression and, 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 and you know, captivity. <laughs> It's, it's fucking great. <laughs> That's fucking tremendous. That is. I mean, we've reached the end of 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 the road on the on the Andor recap. Yeah. Well, we have at least for t- for two years. I know we are doing Tales of the Jedi. We'll do yeah. that before before we run out for Christmas. I look forward to uh to to watching uh that as well. But um, this is. I mean, if you haven't seen it, you've been listening to these. Why have you been listening to these? If you I haven't don't even seen know. it as well, you'd be absolutely just spoiling it for yourself. But this is, for me, I mean, I think at the end of this, I came away comfortably thinking this is better than The Mandalorian. And that might just be my preferences in terms of the kind of I television that I like. But it's very much more to my Ma- tastes. Mandalorian sir, and, and Andor serve two different audiences. Mm, yeah. They're not serving the same Star Wars audience. The Mandalorian is serving the audience that wants things to be connected and wants to see Easter eggs and wants to see, yeah. like, what what is it? Mem- memory berries? It's this idea of like it, it, you you have like nostalgia, things filled with nostalgia that make you feel good, and this is what yeah. drives you know people to watch something. Mandalorian is like that. I think it's 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 really good on its own right. It it I don't want I don't I'm glad it's not like Andor, but Andor is for those people who want to see good like a higher level of writing and acting mm. 
that goes to a different level, but it's set in Star Wars. Yeah. Like, to me, every time like I see these incredible ideas being played out and this incredible dialogue being spoken and these incredible performances, but then you see a TIE fighter. I'm just like, it just makes me so happy because yeah. it's like, it's, it's, it's Star Wars. It's still Star Wars. Some people have said, this is not Star Wars for me. Fair enough. It's not for you. For me, it is. Yeah. I, I, I saw the first movie in the cinemas in 77 with my father and my brother when I was five years old. So, you know, like to me, like, I think I have as much right to say I'm, I'm, you know, a Star Wars fan through and through more than pretty much anyone else. It doesn't matter. Like you have more fucking toys than me. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I was in the, I saw, I saw every film in, in the theaters. I saw, I saw it like before if they fucking got fucking, you know, fucking re-edited by George in the nineties. Okay. I saw them. I saw them multiple times. I saw Empire. I saw Empire Strikes Back seven times in the theaters when I was a fucking kid. I saw Return of the Jedi 10. Ten fucking times. I counted every time I saw Return of the Jedi. Do you want your dad to bring you along to each and no. every one of the places? The first one, by a certain point of view, point point of my life, I was going to movies. Me and my brother were going. Yeah. He's two years older than me. We we were trusted to just go. Like this is the eighties. Yeah. Honestly, like they, it was okay. Like we would just take the bus, thirty minutes to go somewhere, get off cinema in the afternoon, and then come back home. Their parents trusted us. Like you take care of your brother. Okay. Get something yeah. to eat. Here's some money. Go buy tickets. Buy something to eat. Come back home. Okay. <laughs> I I saw I saw Return of the Jedi with my brother multiple times. I saw Return of the Jedi multiple times with my friends. I even saw a couple of times by myself. Like you know, because like back the then, best film going experience. Honestly, back then, like it was you know it was you didn't worry about things like as a kid like that or parents didn't really worry no, too was, much. And it's also I mean. I went so the first of them I went to see in the cinema was actually it wasn't Empire Strikes but it was Return of the Jedi, and it's again it's difficult to kind of explain at that particular point in time because there was a, there was not as many theaters and it was a genuine phenomenon and it was you waited years for things to appear on VHS like these were so you savored every chance you got to see it and then at the point when Star Wars was out on VHS I know this was something that. Like my dad, bless him, not for him, basically, but he did kind of wonder why his children were constantly watching these things on a loop. And I think the thing about Andor is, is all of the kind of questions when you repeat watch something many, many times are kind of getting answered here in here. You start to wonder about, like, in terms of what the mechanics of the Empire and how it works, you know. This rebellion, how did it come into being? How do all these, you know, people come into being necessarily? You know, the idea behind a, a, a Mon Mothman, you know, tying it back in with the Senate as well, which we saw in like the original prequels here. You know, there's so many things in terms of the connective tissue, but it doesn't it didn't go for the obvious things. And that's not necessarily a criticism of like say of Mandalorian, which does, which again, like you say, it serves two kind of audiences. But you think of the, the directorial style even on this like a lot of shots like you mentioned like the composing and the framing is lovely like you mentioned in terms of Mon Mothler's uh, apartment in um, Coruscant and about how that looks like a prison I mean there's the things about this is it moves at a particular pace I mean in terms of the the quality of the writing and the direction if you transported that kind of style onto a 
piece of kind of high quality television. It wouldn't be amiss in terms of those kind of basic fundamentals. Like you say, it's just with Star, it's just set within a Star Wars universe. And what's the point of having the IP of a property like this if you're not willing to explore pretty much everything around it rather than servicing the kind of, you know, the same needs of an audience and, you know, that, that you can kind of, that a lot of franchises can end up falling their way into and most of them do at various points. And this one feels like, you know, it's it feels different. That's the main thing when you're watching this. This feels different. You You watch this and you, I'm saying you forget you're watching Star Wars, but it doesn't, it feels like Star Wars without feeling like Star Wars. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's a hell of a balancing act. So, I, I mean, I, I have to imagine like people like Pedro Pascal and Ian McGregor yeah. are watching this and they're thinking, fuck, why can I get something like this? Yeah. Like, I, I, Pedro Pascal may be less so because I, I think he's pretty happy with the level of you know, with the level of quality he's dealing yeah. with, with, with John Favreau and, and Dave Filoni. And, and again, it's Mandalorian is filling like a completely different agenda than Andor is, but he's got to be thinking like fucking watching Diego Luna, who he's friends with. He's like, God damn, he's so lucky. He got to do this project. He got to be this character. And you McGregor's probably like, fuck, I got this shit. And like, I got like three episodes of shit. And this, this is 12 episodes of fucking everything was good. Get it. Yeah. You also got to think like, Rob Rodriguez must be like putting like crying in his hands because he's like, I, I just created some bullshit and this is like something next level, you know, like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm excited though. I think Mandalorian season three is going to be so much fun to watch. I can't wait oh. to talk about it with you Yeah, um, as well. Ahsoka's coming out. I have a lot of faith in that yeah. you know, because Dave Filoni, I have a lot of faith in Dave Filoni as a creator and as a writer, as a director and as a, gatekeeper of star wars yeah and someone who respects the history and the lore and the continuity and and tries to make it all work and and how where we go with ahsoka is going to be different where we go with mandalorian season three even though there's the same timeline that it's it it's interesting because i think ahsoka is is possibly going to connect more to the the force awakens era you know if we see some of the characters, I think we might see in, in that show, but we'll, we'll wait. I think season Mandalorian season three is first and then we're going to yeah. get Ahsoka. So, uh, and then we'll be talking about both of the, both those shows with uh, together you and I, right? Yeah. Oh yes. We're doing all of those ones together on there. Um, yeah. I look forward to it because I think, you know, the thing I'm going to be doing, I'm hoping still over this Christmas period is watch rebels. Yes. Is get round onto that. That's that's my kind of my my holiday homework. If I if I want to think of that as well. But um, yeah. So we've reached reached the end of 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 this recap series. I've absolutely loved it. It's been brilliant. Can I can a, I make a suggestion? Step above like Kenobi. I I I will recommend that you watch the mm-hmm. last season of Clone Wars if you have not already. I have, is, but a long time ago. Okay, so I I would just recommend you watch the last story arc, which is the the. The, the siege of Mandalore, mm. which okay. sets up, which will you when you watch it and then you will start watching Rebels, it makes a lot more sense. But you don't need to watch all of the last season, like. But I do recommend watch the last. I think the last three episodes, which is the siege of Mandalore, with the featuring Ahsoka, and that will uh, tie into Rebels. You'll see why, and and it's, uh, yeah, like. We don't have to do a review show about it, but like you know, like while we're doing the other shows, we can you can tell me what you've been we watching. Will. We can we can I can talk about like yeah, my own feelings about 
what you've been watching and that and go for like kind of a general overview of like what whatever episodes you've been watching at the time or have watched and and it is it is one of my favorite things i've ever seen set in star wars um there is like by season two especially it just notches up and by the time you finish it, it you 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 have a deep emo- i had a deep emotional investment every character mm. on this show on rebels and uh when it was over i was i felt real sadness because it's like oh my god i don't want this to end but like i'm glad it ended when it did because it yeah. ended on a high note so and that's what i think we're gonna end up with andal in the end of the next yes. series we're gonna want more of it but it we can't have more of it no and know, know how this story ultimately ends no we, we don't we we just need yeah. to like continue the journey with with cassian yeah. Endor and the other characters like Sintafel, muthin and see how it ties in to the because we all have rogue one and then you know we can revisit i can i that's the great I thing about happily, Endor. yeah you can just re, you can watch it again and you'll get new things out of it i think yeah. every time you view an episode it's like oh i missed that detail oh that's right that ties into something i saw in episode nine you know so so if you know people who are andor curious or andor skeptical, get on them, join them. I'm trying to I'm and, trying to convince John Pollock to, to fucking watch this show. Jesus Christ, he should be all over this by now. It's right up his street. He's he's a man who likes his HBO, as far yeah. as I'm aware. I'm telling you, like, I told him over breakfast. I said, "Listen, John, you you, you got nothing to watch." You, and he's like, he's afraid to get into Star Wars because, like, I don't know any of the lore. I didn't keep up with it. It's like all you need to know is there's an empire, and then there's people who. Are rebelling against it. That's all you That's need it. to know. That's all you need to know. He'll be, I'll be fascinated to know what his take on it is. Yeah, but we've we've reached the end for Andal, and you know it's been a brilliant as always. Absolutely love doing this. Where can people hear hear more of you? What else are you uh, are you going to be recording? Uh, well, I I have an episode of the Long and Winding Railroad coming up. Um, I haven't recorded it yet, as of mm-hmm. as of our recording this, but I will have done done hopefully by next monday and that'll be up on the uh the post wrestling feed uh probably the third sunday saturday of of december hopefully mm-hmm. uh i have i'm going to be doing actually a couple hours after this we've wrapped this up i'm going to be recording a guardians of the galaxy holiday special review with not only waiting but also the ever elusive john pollock uh he's gonna be kind of, i think it's his first time on mcu later yeah uh, even though he started doing these with with way him and wade started this whole kind of journey into the marvel universe but he has never been on mcu later so i'm excited to do that with those both those guys i don't really get to do too much with them together yeah so this will be fun uh so that'll be out this this week probably by the time you hear this and if you check your feeds you're probably like oh it's but that's if you're a member all wh of, all the time uh, post wrestling uh cafe um what else do i have We're, me and john are going to record sometime this month uh a, a kind of a year end of of the year in japanese wrestling on post perez but we'll also be looking at upcoming shows including wrestle kingdom mm-hmm. uh, uh in january and um yeah uh, also like keep your eye out on 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 social media the post wrestling feeds for for instagram and twitter and the such we will be having some big merchandise news maybe unless it's revealed by someone wearing something on tv possibly hopefully in the near future i don't know i don't i don't i don't i don't know about anything until i actually see i would have a clue i until i actually see things on tv or things are, are sent to me via social media i don't know what's happening with that 
but something's gonna happen this month i that's all i'll say wait when you see it you'll be like oh just in time for christmas so just what i'm thinking the per- the perfect uh, stocking stuffer of, of a gift uh but that one You'll hear more of, well, if you would have heard me talking uh, at the time of this with the recorded last night doing about Bret Hart and WCW, this is all on the Grapple Patreon at patreon.com forward slash grapple. That's depressing. Um, also, we had... Uh, There's a lot had, of good stuff there. I, well, I loved his match. I loved his I, match with, with Benoit. Like, not yeah. the Owen tribute, but also, like, he had the feud with Benoit. where he's The, the Mayhem heel. match. Oh, which inexplicably so Scott Hall, Kevin Nash run out and attack Bill Goldberg, and then they all go back to the back to the back, and it's like utterly pointless. But it's WCW yeah. in the late nineties, so they had to do this stuff. Yeah, we did that. We did wrestling with shadows. We did the um, Survivor Series '97 recap on there. There is going to be sort of the tailwind of a of an observe this that we were uh, we were going to be doing on there as well um, on Spotlight this week. We we saw the frankly bloody bleak teddy hart documentary and jesus christ like uh, you, you, you go from one canadian that. icon to one uh, canadian villain in one you, you couldn't wait pay me to watch anything about teddy hart like oh. i would just probably come away so angry and triggered to you know so he's he's vile he's disgusting yeah. you feel dirty for watching it i i watched it almost to take on the sins for others like it's it's not a fun watch you watch it and you're like this man like God, he's he's not really a man as well. He's just he's an absolute fuckwit. There's no other way of describing him. But yes, we uh, we managed to cover that as well. Didn't get to speak about Canada exiting the World Cup today as well. Wh, I know you couldn't care in the slightest, but just let you know they did well. They impressed okay. a lot of people as a big big football fan. What what about Japan? How how did they do? They qualified. Oh, oh this is the big shock news tonight. Uh, before we started recording, Japan beat Spain. So they went through as group winners. They basically knocked Germany out of the World Cup in the opening stages. And I think you know enough about soccer as Germany are pretty handy at this as well. So for Japan, it was massive. Um, it's, it's it's famously with Shinsuke Nakamura putting a picture up with uh, Gunter, aka Volta, who's actually Austrian, doing a middle finger to him on, on social media there as well. Which is, you know, one of the fascinating dynamics. But Japan looked good. They're like huh? very, they've got some very, there's an Arsenal player who plays for them. Um, um, Takahiro Tomiyasu, who's who's a cracking, like kind of defender who can play anywhere across the park. So they've done very well. Canada, re- people enjoyed the football they played. They were really attacking, not so good defensively, but they've got some real stars in that team. And when the, the World Cup comes to the US and Canada, I can't, I can't, I wouldn't be able to believe they wouldn't be in Toronto. If you get a chance to to see that, I could see you getting into World Cup fever in four years' time, because they're gonna be they're gonna they're gonna be better. Canada, they're getting there. They got some between Alfo- Alphonse you're, Davies. You're talking to the wrong I person. I don't give I a know. shit about real sports. I I not listen, even hockey for crying out loud. Let me tell you something really quickly before we sign off here. Okay, like the the last time, like I vague, I I vividly remember World Cup season. Okay, like I'm working in a comic yeah. store in little Italy. Okay. Yeah. Fucking South Korea knocks out fucking Italy of the I world remember. cup. Right. 2002. I, yeah. I, I, I finished, I closed the store and I'm running to my car. Cause I'm like, 
these fucking fans are nuts. I do not want them to see an Asian person walking around in little fucking Italy. All right. After we have fucking knocked them out of the fucking World Cup because wow. they are fucking nuts about football, you know, in the city. They were livid at that game. I won't go into it now, but there was a lot of things. There were, there were some decisions refereeing wise, which in fairness, Italy could, could gripe with. They were livid about it as well. Um, but yeah, it's, but you know, Japan, where you lived before, they're, they're there, mate. If you're going to go rooting for a team, and I'll tell you It'd be what, probably Japan. It'd probably be Japan. Well, they won their group. So in theory, but this is a wild World Cup where like big teams have been knocked out in these opening stages and there's been lots of upsets in there. So it's, I couldn't even tell you Japan are going to be playing in the last 16, but they will quietly fancy their chances as well. And, you know, they play in the Asian qualifiers. They have to play in Qatar a lot because there's, you know, a lot of the Asian Cup and Asian game. You know, Asian games have been played in Qatar as well. So, if you're thinking in terms of like European teams, European players, slightly different kind of you know starts of seasons and stuff like this. I'm not saying they're going to go and win it, but Japan look a force, rather like the rugby and the wrestling. You know, they they look very good. So. But I look. That, I, I look forward to not discussing this with you. Yeah. No. Exactly. Well, it's a it's a vile. It's it's a World Cup being held in a vile location, which yeah. you know is a uh, many terrible uh, humanitarian and horrific crimes going on, including the use of migrant workers who've died making the stadiums. But hey, ignore that when you can watch the football. So yeah, yeah. that's 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 the kind of situation with that. But yes, this brings us to the end of of Andor, and all me and WH have to say is. Bye there. Bye there.